Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Ball Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Chris LaSpada. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast with accountant Chris LaSpada. Chris is an elite expert in taxes as it relates to investing and and everything else that we do here at Ball Guy, Inc. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about investment losses as they relate to tax elimination. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Jeff. Let's get into this uh, investment losses and how they relate to tax elimination. Here's the first question. Would you just kind of outline an ex- a general exploration of the concept of how losses can relate to eliminating taxes? Sure. First of all, you always have to identify what type of income or loss an item is. And then after you do that, you can determine what can be offset against that. So, for example, I know it's a basic concept, but capital gains can be netted with capital losses. And passive income can be netted with passive losses. And they're the two main types of income you will see from investors because as an investor, we're assuming that there's no active income, earned income that, that for the purposes of this discussion. So they're the two main types of income. And then, so for example, you can't take a capital gain and offset it with a passive loss. It's everything's got to be a similar type to do that. And then there's also law, there's also rules about how much the losses can be and how much you can actually take as a loss also could depend on what tax bracket you're in. Would you give an example of a passive loss? Passive loss is anything that would come from a passive activity. And a passive activity generally would be a rental property without material participation. That's probably the most common type of passive loss that we we run across. Investors in a fund could, depending upon what their agreement is and how they how they get income or loss from a fund, you know, you, you could have passive loss from an investment in a fund as well that's not considered capital. Okay. All right. All right. So let's let's segue. You mentioned it. You touched on it a little bit. Our second question. Address the pecking order of what losses help eliminate gains and where's the matchup, what doesn't apply, because that's one of the most confusing things I find with clients. They they always ask me, Jeff, I have this kind of loss in the stock market. Can I offset the gain I'm about to get from the sale of this piece of real estate? Right. So with capital losses, you can deduct capital losses from capital gains. And there are different types of capital gain items that the loss is more valuable for, meaning that it's just not a stock. There's, It's a different type of capital gain. So, like, for example, there's a 28% capital gains rate on collectibles and qualified small business stock. So while it's still treated as a capital loss, I would rather take my capital loss against an item like that because that capital gain rate is higher than the normal 15%. That's a 28% capital gain rate. You also have unrecaptured Section 1250 gains that usually come into play when real estate is sold, and that's 
subject to 25% tax rate. And then... Would you give us a quick definition of 1250? 1250 is the depreciation. It's basically the depreciation taken over the time on a investment property. So while you're deducting that depreciation year year by year by year, whether you're able to take the loss or not, those losses carry forward. And then upon disposition, not only do you get those losses back, but the only downside to that is you have to recapture the depreciation you've taken, and that's taxed at a 25% rate. That's the now infamous depreciation recapture tax. Yes. Yes, I use, but I use that to the favor of uh, real estate investors often who are have adjusted gross incomes in excess of 150,000 by taking the cost segregation higher amount of depreciation dollars per year, and then they end up storing a bunch of unused depreciation, and we use it against the gain. But that's another podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the last one you had is just what everybody's probably more accustomed to. Just hey, I have some stock losses. Uh, let me sell. Let me sell some stock at a gain to offset, you know, to, to use those losses. Uh, and then the other thing is you have to always watch out for the wash sale rules with with stocks is if you sell something at a loss, you can't buy that back for 31 days in order for the loss to be deductible. And on the flip side of that, you can sell something at a gain and buy it back the next day. I mean, a lot of times we call that like a paper transaction because you're trying to you're trying to absorb your losses with gains and then receive higher basis. So it's kind of, you know, a planning tool that that should be used and maybe not as used as often as it should. Okay, well let's go let's go into the third question, which just keeps expanding on what we're talking about, Chris, which is the short version is what defines a short or long term gain. But here's the questions that come up from investors a lot in my conversations with them. And I'm always sending them to either you or or Lenny, and that is that they might have a short-term loss, and they want to know, well, can I offset a long-term capital gain? And there's all kinds of answers. Why don't you give us the definitive answer? Well, I mean, typically, that's okay. You know, the short and long-term definitions, you know, it's always one year or less short-term more than one long term, you know, typically you can do that. You know, you can take the, the only difference is a short term gain is generally taxed or is taxed at your regular rate where the long term gain gets the, the the preferential tax treatment. So right. You know, that would be an area where you would want to reduce capital gains if possible. Now as an example, if somebody this year bought some stock and they spent a hundred thousand on the stock and it turned out to be a bad idea and so they sold it before the end of this year and they and they experienced a thirty five thousand dollar loss. Now that would be a short term loss. It would be less than one year. But in the same year, sometime in the summer, they sold a piece of real estate where they had a hundred thousand dollar long term capital gain. Could they take that $35,000 short-term stock loss against that $100,000 gain? They could, but the one thing I did want to also add to what I just said was 
the short and long-term losses must first be used to offset gains of the same type. So, you know, that's probably the only, you know, the, the asterisks, so to speak, there is, you know, you have that where you have to match the type first, and then you can apply the excess to the other type. So I think kind of what you're saying with your example, you know, you sell a long-term investment. You know, I'll just throw out a different number, but you, you sell a long-term investment at a $15,000 loss, but you only had 5000 in long-term gains for the year. You could apply the 10000 excess to any short-term gains. So in that example, you'd be using long-term against long-term, but if you have remaining left over, then you can use it against the short-term gains, which could potentially have a higher tax rate than the long-term gains. But based on, I think, what I heard you say, Chris, if I had that stock loss of 35000 which would be short-term, I would right. have to apply that, that short-term $35,000 loss to any short-term gains if I had them that year. Right. Yep. And since I... In this case, this example, we're going to say they had no short-term gains in that tax year, so then they would be able to successfully offset the $100,000 real estate gain by 35000 and only pay the 15% long-term capital gain tax on 65000 because of that Correct. offset. Okay. And all that's dependent upon what tax bracket you're in. So that's that's always a big qualifier that I give out because even though we're just talking some general numbers, if you added to that equation that that person's in the highest tax bracket, I said, oh, that's a 20% capital gains rate and not 15. Right. And depending on what happens with the uh, current political arguments on uh, Obamacare, there's that surprise 3.8% addition once you're over X amount of income to your capital gains tax. So a lot of people end up paying 23.8% capital gain tax long-term, which is can be kind of a bad surprise. Which brings another question. When a taxpayer, uh, you can really clear something up for a lot of listeners. A taxpayer makes $150,000 a year, and he takes a $500,000 long-term capital gain, okay? Okay. Now, a lot of that gain is going to be paid at 15% until it gets up to a certain amount, right? But is that 500000 because it's what, 450, 457 before you get up to 20%? In terms of getting into the highest bracket, it's around four-something, yeah. Right. Now, how is that four-something arrived at? Is it the is it the taxpayer investor's ordinary income plus the gain, or is it just the gain? It's their taxable income. That's how the brackets are determined. If they had a, a gain of 400, a long-term gain of 400, and they had an adjusted gross income that year of 150, the computation would be based on 550? Right. Well, that's what, that's what determines what bracket they're in. And then that'll determine how the capital gain is taxed at what rate. That'll also determine what the Obamacare 3.8% of net unearned tax on net income. And because the capital gain 
is most of the income that year and it's caused to be in the higher tax bracket, most likely there would be an AMT, alternative minimum tax con uh, calculation, with that return as well. So, you know, a lot of times when when this starts to occur, that's when there's these other factors that you have to run the numbers because they can be unforeseen. Yeah, and uh, very rarely is AMT a happy result. Right. Well, it's 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 either not happy or unexpected because a lot of times a taxpayer wants to just figure something out on their own and just make a calculation and say, oh, well, that's that's what it's going to be. And it's like, no, nah, it may not exactly work out that way. And that's because you didn't consider these other factors. I hear you. Now, the last question is about whether or not the investor taxpayer can actually plan ahead for the use of losses to offset investment gains or even ordinary income taxes. You can always plan ahead, whether it's investing or regular tax or even business or corporate tax. I mean, there's always probably something you can plan ahead for. So a lot of times with capital gains, we kind of gone over this already, but with capital gains, there's definitely uh, loss planning strategies related to if I have a gain, should I try to take losses that year? Or if I have losses, should I start to recognize some gain that year? That's the most simplest form, and that's there for every taxpayer. But then you do have more complex situations where it'll come up with passive income and passive gains. Those those types of planning issues, and even with earned income issues, it comes up with, I've made more earned income this year. What can I do? Have I fully contributed to a defined contribution plan? If I haven't, should I? Have I contributed to an HSA? Have I fully funded it if I'm eligible to? Uh, some right. states, not a federal, but some states have contributions or tax reductions. Pennsylvania does. If you contribute up to fourteen thousand dollars to a section uh, a five twenty nine plan kids education plan, it gives you a three percent deduction the tax rate on that. So that's not a big deal, but you know four hundred twenty bucks is four hundred twenty bucks. So you know so there's always a planning option. Now some of them might not be exotic, exciting, but I think anytime you're saving some money, it's it's worth doing. Well, I've always found that when somebody says, well, that wasn't much of a loss, they were talking about some other person's loss, not their own. Right. That's that's no way. I really appreciate this. There are so many misunderstandings and myths out there about gains and losses and offsets. You, you've really cleared up a heck of a lot here today, Chris. The one thing that I did want to add was that we've had – a situation come up where someone that I don't do work for asked me for a professional opinion and he told me some details about a situation, whether it was all the details or not, you know, I don't know. But the, the gist of the situation was he was selling some properties. He made an assumption that something would be subject to capital gain, had a discussion with a longtime CPA. He claimed that it was, that they were both clear that it would be a capital gain. And when the return was done, it did not get capital gain treatment, and it said something 
referring to a Section 1231 loss. Again, I don't have all the details, but the point was because they didn't plan accordingly and run the numbers that they could not have found this until they actually did the tax return. You know, what should have happened was they should have ran a projection. They could have seen this situation, and then maybe there was a plan that could have been implemented that either could have prevented it or another strategy could have been implemented. So when the taxpayer and the CPA found out the effects of this, it was already too late. It was already past the year end. So, you know, I think it's very important that clients reach out when they need planning done and really insist on running the numbers and not just having a conversation with a couple of assumptions because what happens is generally there's never the full story and there's so many things in the tax code that can come back at various points and when you run the numbers that's when you start to see it and if you don't I think you're just taking a chance. What you just described and explained Chris was exactly why I have something I say at least once if not multiple times during conversation with potential and existing clients. I tell them look I've been doing this for a very long time, over 40 years. I know a ton about tax law, but any time you're talking to Chris and he contradicts whatever I said, don't believe a word that came out of my mouth. That's why we have Chris. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's why as live events begin to fold out in the future, you will be there. So Thank you. I really appreciate this. You really shined a light on a lot of uh, misinformation out there. So I thank you for this very much. All right, no problem. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Listeners, we hope you got a lot out of it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Chris LaSpada.